Today, the title of her talk, as you can see, is Missing from the Map, Feminist Theory and the Omission of Jewish Women. Uh, Jennifer is, uh, we grew up in Montreal together, but aside from that, uh, she is a consultant here at ISA doing work on issues of gender, um, feminist theory, and anti-Semitism. She's doing her PhD at Bar Ilan University in Israel, near Tel Aviv. Um, her, her dissertation is dealing with, the tentative title is, entitled, is called In Their Own Voices, and she's looking at Jewish women in North America and Israel who are senior members, senior scholars in academic institutions, um, and is examining the intersection between different identities and shedding on light, light on how they manage the conflicts or the dissonance between them. So it's a very interesting uh, research project, PhD, and it's really, in my opinion, for whatever it's worth, I think she's really uh, sort of becoming a trailblazer in a very important field, and I think in an area that has really omitted um, some of the things that we at ISA are engaged in, so it's very important work. Um, Jennifer, originally from Montreal, she did her BA uh, at Brandeis University in Near Eastern and Judaic Studies. Um, and then she did an honors thesis, um, sorry, dealing with the American press and the reaction to the Eichmann trial. She did a master's um, in, in counseling psychology at Harvard University. And aside from doing her PhD and being a consultant at ESA, she's also worked at Hebrew University for many years um, in the administration there. She was doing work and consulting in areas of anti-Semitism for the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in Israel. She also was a employee, she worked in the administration at the IDC, the Herzliya Interdisciplinary Research Center. She worked at the Mendel Foundation. She worked for the city of Jerusalem and also for Hadassah College in Jerusalem. So it's really a pleasure and an honor to have you here this, this afternoon.
when it comes to Jewish women, despite the involvement of many Jewish women in the women's movement, including as leading theorists. This leaves a gap in both feminist and multicultural theory, as well as in the field of identity studies. This paper presents a comparison of the existing theoretical approaches and, dem and demonstrates the absence of a comparable depiction of Jewish women as case studies within multicultural feminism. It addresses the following four questions. One, if Jewish women are missing from the map of feminist theory, both as subjects and as authors, why might this be? And where do they place themselves um, when it comes to their uh, Jewish and feminist identities? Two, is one possible explanation of this absence from the map that Jewish women locate themselves within so-called mainstream feminism, that is, as white and as unencumbered by an extraneous identity of any consequence? Three, if so, how do Jewish feminists view expressions within the women's movement that pertain to Jewish issues or Israel, including expressions which appear to be anti-Semitic? How do their identities as mainstream members of this movement coexist with their identities as members of the Jewish people? And, uh, and four, if one were to try to develop a theoretical model of multicultural Jewish feminist identity where there now is none, how would one do so? And how might such a theory explain these responses? This paper draws upon black feminist theory as a point of contrast with current scholarship related to feminism and American Jewish women. With that contrast in mind, I put forward the following thesis, that while there may be an overall identification among Jewish women with the feminist mainstream, their position in the women's movement may nevertheless reflect the eternal puzzle of Jews viewed as other as a race, as a religion, as both, as neither, as a composite projection of the host population's fantasies, this absence of theoretical model reflects the absence of a secure standing within the movement as an ideological home. While this specific paper will not grapple with the issue of Jew as other in this age of multiculturalism, it will conclude with the sketching of a roadmap for exploration which, however preliminary, can act as a starting point for additional research in the future. Uh, my background into the world of gender studies originated with the wish to understand a certain trait among numerous contemporaries and friends, uh, women, some of whom live in Israel like me, some who don't. I noticed what struck me as an inconsistency, a kind of disconnect between a strong conviction on the one hand on behalf of women's issues and a conviction regarding the delegitimation of the state of Israel and how to fight it on the other. My own deep conviction held that the two issues, both based on the principles of equal opportunity and self-determination and both facing the threat of Islamic fundamentalism, do go hand in hand. Yet often, these friends did not seem to recognize threats facing Israel as on par with problems facing women, or that concern for Israel was parochial compared to the more universal condition of gender issues, and therefore ranked as a less immediate priority. I wondered why this might be so. 
My studies of feminist theory enlightening, which were enlightening on many levels, brought a particular revelation in my encounter with black feminist and multicultural feminist thought. Black feminist and multicultural theorists initiated an abrupt departure from leading feminist theorists of the day in the 1980s, who had defined the challenges to all women in uniform terms, stemming from their own perspectives as white middle-class women. Black feminist thinkers asserted that the experience of being female, however universal it is in many respects, differs significantly depending upon one's racial, ethnic, cultural, and socioeconomic background. Thinkers such as Bell Hooks, Patricia Hill Collins, Audre Lorde, Barbara Christian, and others pointed to the history and experience of African-American women, which resulted in a distinct social condition and an equally distinct set of needs. In recognizing that these differences had been overlooked and discounted by feminists who had claimed the experience of middle-class white women as the norm and as the mainstream, and in articulating a theoretical model, a quote, Afrocentric feminist standpoint, black feminists' landmark contribution enriched feminist theory as a whole. Their writings speak to the enduring nature of the ties that bind many people to their own ethnic, racial, or national groups. Observe that these ties often claim an allegiance over political or ideological affiliations, and that this may be seen as both natural and legitimate. Their message to me was one of validation, the validity of staking ground for one's own ethnic group, bringing benefit to that group, but to others as well in the process. In the, wor in the words of writer Sonia Sanchez, quote, I've always known that if you write from a black perspective, you're writing from a universal experience as well. I know you don't have to whitewash yourself to be universal, unquote. With these ideas in mind, I set out in search of the equivalent academic literature regarding Jewish women's experience of their connections to their Jewishness and their feminism, looking for ways to apply the theoretical model I would find to the situation of my friends and myself. <coughs> this, I ventured, would bring theoretical underpinning to a project which seemed to require justification, namely, seeing the fight for the legitimation of Jewish self-determination and women's self-determination as linked. To my great surprise and puzzlement, however, the comparable body of literature was nowhere to be found. Despite plentiful existing research on the subjects of feminist identity and of multicultural feminist studies, there was no body of literature which looked at Jewish women as case studies in those contexts. Put differently, the experience of Jewish women, whose role in the women's movement has been highly visible and active, is not reflected in scholarship of multicultural feminist theory. Jewish women are simply missing from the map. This paper explores why this might be so. Now, saying that Jewish women are missing from the map of multicultural feminist theory does not mean to say that a search combining the words Jewish and feminism will yield nothing. The contrary. Within popular literature, one finds personal accounts describing examples of Jewish women's activism in the battle for women's rights and in the feminist movement. And further, when it comes to academic scholarship, searches linking the words Jewish and feminism do yield studies 
pertaining primarily, though, to the theme of Jewish women within the Jewish world, uh, women in Jewish religious law, ritual, and communal life. The term Jewish feminism itself describes attempts by Jewish women to find a place within or alongside normative Jewish tradition. Scholars such as Rachel Adler, Judith Hauptman, Judith Glasgow, Susanna Heschel, Elise Goldstein, Lou Greenberg, Tova Hartman, and many others have contributed toward attempts to realize and define a Jewish religiosity, spiritual fulfillment, dignity, and inclusion for Jewish women in the contemporary Jewish world. Jewish women in the above context has its parallels in works by feminists of other faiths, Christian, Muslim, Hindu, who struggle with similar issues of women's participation, ordination, uh, or of changes in theologies and liturgy which range from standard androcentric to outright misogynist. Within Jewish feminism, thinkers and theorists have inspired notable changes in religious and communal life, prompting Sylvia Barak Fishman to remark, quote, that these profound transformations have already become so mainstream as to become unremarkable, unquote. Indeed, these changes are apparent in areas such as synagogue worship, with egalitarianism common practice in the vast majority of American con congregations, the vast majority of which are reform and conservative, uh, in the integration of female-centered rituals into Jewish life, as well as within the organized Jewish community. If existing Jewish feminist scholarship emphasizes issues of women within the Jewish world, black feminist theory despite the substantial difference in experience between the two groups, I stress, provides a relevant point of contrast. For the latter, feminist struggle takes place within African-American society while extending well beyond the home community to American society as a whole. Black feminist theorists have explored and reflected African-American women's perceptions of their unique position at a nexus of discrimination on the basis of race, gender, and class. In coining the term matrix of domination, Patricia Hill Collins spoke of creating a new paradigm, quote, the significance of seeing race, class, and gender as interlocking systems of oppression, she says, is that such an approach fosters a paradigmatic shift of thinking inclusively about other oppressions and the economic, political, and ideological conditions that support them." Unquote. Black feminist theory also emerges from a recognition that the condition of black women is distinct from that of African Americans as a group, as well as from women as a group. Therefore, their solutions emanate from neither Afrocentric theory nor from feminist theory, but from a uniquely Afrocentric feminist position. Ultimately, the goal of black feminist theory is to articulate black women's standpoint, making full use of their, quote, access to both the Afrocentric and the feminist standpoints, expecting that it should reflect elements of both traditions, but be distinct, a search for the distinguishing features of an alternative epistemology. Again, Collins, unquote. If one were to attempt to, to depict this objective of black feminist theory as a diagram, it would look like this. And its caption might well quote Bell Hooks's observation, 
White women and black men have it both ways. They can act as oppressors or be oppressed. Black men may be victimized by racism, but sexism allows them to act as exploiters and oppressors of women. White women may be victimized by sexism, but racism enables them to act as exploiters and oppressors of black people. Both groups have led liberation movements that favor their interests and support the continued oppression of other groups." Unquote. The intersection of the two circles here depicts what Collins termed earlier the accessing, the accessing uh, both the Afrocentric and the feminist standpoint while maintaining distinctiveness. Uh, all three sections, all three sections, uh, operating within the general context of the system's white patriarchal hegemony. Feminist theorists of other racial and ethnic backgrounds, Indian, Asian, Native American, Hispanic, have reached similar conclusions and prescribe a theoretical model which combines a similar dual focus on sexism within their respective racial ethnic group, as well as on the racism which flows from mainstream white feminism. A schematic representation of Jewish feminism, in contrast, might look more like this, reflecting its focus as rooted within the Jewish world. Missing is the comparable oval, the attempt at self-definition vis-a-vis uh, traditional androcentric Judaism and vis-a-vis non-Jewish feminism with the attempt to carve or identify uh, a standpoint unique to Jewish women. This contrast in orientations is all the more intriguing when one considers the active role which Jewish women have played in the women's movement. This includes thinkers and writers whose works hold a central place in the canon of feminist and gender theory, ranging from Betty Friedan to Carol Gilligan the list includes groundbreaking feminist readings in the disciplines of history, literary criticism, psychology, feminist research methodology, and queer theory. Yet we do not see a body of scholarship comparable to that of black feminists, describing the encounter between Jewish women and feminism, echoing observations regarding the, quote, conspicuous absence of theory and research related to the Jewish people within general literature on multiculturalism as a whole, unquote. <coughs> How might this situation have come to be? <coughs> One explanation may be that this search for a Jewish women's feminist standpoint simply was not necessary. At first glance, this point may, be, may seem so obvious as to be barely noteworthy. In as race-conscious a society as the United States, a black woman or man will face a greater level of discrimination than someone white if Jewish women's feminism has not involved the same kind of differentiation and self-definition as black women's, this may well reflect a lack of urgency to do so, uh, an absence of the same experience, that same experience of discrimination, and just as surely a sense of identification with the American white majority. The fact that the works of the Jewish theorists to whom I referred above were incorporated into the core feminist oeuvre provides further evidence of their identification and sense of belonging within the feminist white mainstream. Likewise, 
feminist Jewish women's viewpoint is virtually indistinguishable from the mainstream in the context of multicultural feminist theory. Much of multicultural feminist theory relates to the negotiation of women's standing alongside a multitude of cultural contexts. It upholds the avoidance, as in black feminist theory, of, quote, white solipsism, unquote, that is the implicit tendency to take white perspective as universal. It focuses rather on the issue of women's rights in societies and cultures around the world in their respective contexts. Accordingly, one finds calls for greater awareness of the diversity among American Jewish women, with appeals for greater sensitivity and inclusion of Jewish women of color, for example, or of Sephardic women, in keeping with the spirit of multiculturalism. It bears recalling, therefore, that Jews as a group have only recently come to be considered white, as demonstrated by Jacobson, Gilman, J. Boyarman, Brodkin, and Shayette, race is a social construct and a remarkably fluid form of categorization over the past centuries. Gilman notes that, quote, for the 18th and 19th century scientists, the blackness of the Jew was taken as fact and as mark of racial inferiority, in addition to an indicator of his diseased nature. By the mid-century, being black, being Jewish, being diseased, and being ugly came to be inexorably linked. One bore the signs of one's diseased status on one's anatomy, and by extension, in one's psyche. Incidentally, blackness of skin was thought to be the result of congenital syphilis. Mm. Gilman underlines that, quote, the boundaries of race were one of the most powerful social and political divisions evolved in the science of that period, unquote. Ironically, Jewish inmarrying, rather than marking Jews a pure race, marked them as impure and considered mongrel due to interbreeding with Africans during the period of Alexandrian exile. Literature documenting race in America dates the designation of Jews as white as recently as the 1920s, recalling the contrast Al Jolson drew of himself between blackface entertainer as opposed to White Cantor's son in The Jazz Singer. Or uh, even later, the period following World War II. With the awareness and horror of Nazi Germany's racial policies, the 1940s, quote, produced a profound revision in the taxonomy of the world's races, unquote. This is reflected in examples such as Arthur Miller's 1945 novel, Focus, or Laura Z. Hobson's 1947 Gentleman's Agreement, later adapted into a film starring Gregory Peck, whose message was that Jews are not only difficult to tell apart from non-Jews, but that their similarity to real Americans reflects their essential worthiness of racial equality as well. Expanding the definition of whiteness brought obvious benefits in terms of relative power within American society. The perceived differentiation from other racial groups, coupled with the identification with mainstream white America, positioned Jews to attain greater financial security and power during the second half of the 20th century. Yet in sources even more recent, Jews are described as not quite white, or as a different shade of white. In other words, not quite blending in. 
a telling study involving white American women on the subject of their white identities in 1993, notes statements by Jewish participants indicating that, quote, several points must be made about the intersection of Jewishness and whiteness. Ashkenazi Jews, for much of this century in the US and Europe, have been placed at the borders of whiteness, at times viewed as cultural outsiders, at times as racial outsiders, but in any case never as constitutive of the cultural norm, unquote. This study, conducted by Ruth Frankenberg, is revealing in other ways as well. In the relatively short section she devotes to the Jewish aspect of those women among her participants who were Jews, numbering 11 out of 30, the theme of experience anti-Semitism arises among every single one of them. Remember, this was a study of women on the subject of their white identities. Frankenberg picks up on statements by the Jewish women in her interviews which describe their senses of identity as Jews over different stages in their lives. This study is significant in that it is among the only ones I have been able to locate which explores women's identities together with their Jewish identities, not on the subject of their religiosity or spirituality, but in the context of the wider world. Another equally informative study by Deborah Kaufman, 2005, indicates how much one can glean when one asks questions which pertain directly to the missing parts of the Venn diagram, in that she alludes to exactly this intersection of the identities. When Kaufman's subjects express that their identity as Jewish women is, quote, grounded in their experience as the other, as the other within Judaism, unquote. It, it speaks directly to and in concert with the experience of being a Jewish woman vis-a-vis -vis Jewish men, as well as vis-a-vis -vis the world at large with their experience of the Jew being perceived as other. A brief examination will, re will reveal that the experience of feeling like a cultural outsider and other is far from uncommon within the women's movement itself leaving one to wonder what tenuousness may accompany Jewish feminist women's identification and sense of belonging within the mainstream of the movement. One such strand is evident within Christian feminism. Judith Plaskow criticizes the myth which accuses the Jews of inventing and inflicting patriarchal religion uh, on the world, banishing the goddess who had, quote, reigned in matriarchal glory. The myth continues, she states, claiming that when Jesus then tried to, quote, restore egalitarianism, he was foiled by the persistence of Jewish attitudes within Christian tradition. This portrayal of, quote, the Hebrews as ruthlessly supplanting goddess worship with the monotheistic male Hebrew deity uh, acts as the feminist incarnation of the old charge of deicide, unquote. Christian feminists, Christian feminism gives a new slant to the old theme of Christian superiority, deeply rooted in Christian theology, while singling out Jews as the source of society's sexism. Within feminist activism, Jewish-targeted enmity commonly takes the form of anti-Zionism and vituperative hostility toward Israel, the interconnected nature between these two bigotries demonstrated by Kaplan and Small, 2007. 
Examples include the exclusion or expulsion of Israelis and Jews from participation in women's conferences and organizations, the exclusion of material which depicts Israel in a favorable light from feminist publications, the adoption of anti-Israel and anti-Zionist resolutions in conferences convened to discuss women's issues, the formation of women's organizations whose central purpose is the defamation of Israel and is invoked as an actual, as an actual expression of feminism. This is from the website of one of those organizations called Code Pink. Uh, the message, implicit and explicit, is that the vilification of Zionism is integral to feminist ideology to the point that the two goals are deemed indistinguishable. The option of being a feminist and a supporter of Israel is rendered mutually incompatible, a contradiction in terms. Painting Jews as responsible for egregious forms of racism, adding responsibility for the slave trade to the indictment to boot, uh, would be almost comical were it not so stinging. Scholars of American Jewry relate the overwhelming degree to which American Jews identify with left-wing and liberal ideologies. The Jewish communal establishment in the 1960s going so far as to maintain that a Jew's position on the issue of civil rights forms the primary measure of his very Jewish identity. That being a member of the Jewish community could mark one as suspect racism calls to mind the condition termed by Stephen Cohen as, quote, the unbearable whiteness of being Jewish. <laughs> or, as Gilman noted in, in uh, observing this irony, quote, multicultural discourse has marginalized Jews while using Jewish experience as one of the models for the multicultural, unquote. How then do Jewish women deal with this situation? On a more fundamental level, how do they experience and describe the impact of this animosity, a rejection by sisters within the sisterhood? Chandra Talpad Mohanty, a post-colonial feminist theorist, observes a frequent conflict between feminism and the home community, criticizing allegiance to the home community as, quote, revisionism that severely limits feminist inquiry and struggle. She describes, quote, the risk of rejection by one's own kind, by one's family, when one exceeds the limits. The fear of rejection by one's own kind, she continues, refers not only to the family of origin, but also to the potential loss of a second family, the women's community, with its implied and often unconscious replication of the conditions of home." Unquote. Personal reflections of Jewish women regarding this conflict between their Jewish and feminist ties provide telling and poignant expressions of this very sense of loss of their, quote, second family in the women's community, unquote. Letty Cotton Pagrevin, referring to the anti-Israel and anti-Semitic diatribes at the 1980 United Nations Women's Conference in Copenhagen, states, quote, Jewish women have two battles to fight against sexism and against anti-Jewish beliefs, identifying as Jews within the feminist movement with as much zeal as we identify as feminists in Judaism." Unquote. Others, like Phyllis Chesler, decry the demonization of Israel and of Jewish self-determination as an abandonment of the feminist struggle itself, sacrificing the well-being of Islamic women and of all women 
in the face of encroaching Islamic fundamentalism on Western shores in a rush of appeasement which stands to imperil all. Testimonials of this kind cast a light on the gap in current scholarship. A more complete feminist Jewish standpoint in the model of black feminist thought would serve to illuminate the anatomy of anti-Semitism in the women's movement and its effect on Jewish women. We lack more such studies, uh, such as Deborah Kaufman's and Ruth Frankenberg's, to augment the data on how Jewish women experience these meeting points in their own words. To go back to our original question regarding the missing theoretical model describing Jewish women's multicultural feminist identity, a more comprehensive understanding of the points of encounter between Jewish women and the non-Jewish world would complement the existing works relating to, Jew to women within the Jewish world. The present situation, Jewish women's absence from feminist theoretical models, underscores the homeless nature of the Jew. To borrow Elaine Showalter's image in her landmark essay, Feminist Criticism in the Wilderness, Without a theoretical basis, Jewish women risk remaining, quote, an empirical orphan in the theoretical storm, unquote. Bereft of theoretical belonging or anchor, not even the most loyal, committed, or radical feminists are exempt from anti-Semitic bias and innuendo. An increased analysis and awareness could serve to right this balance, this imbalance. My doctoral dissertation project undertakes just such an objective. It is based on the analysis of interviews with a select sample of Jewish women in both the United States and Israel. The questions invite them to describe their multiple senses of identity as women, Jews, feminists, and to describe by what means they resolve or manage tensions or conflicted feelings between these identities, be they through compartmentalization or splitting, resolution or estrangement. In examining transcripts of these narrative interviews, the dissertation will look at patterns and themes which emerge from the women's own words. The analysis will aim to, to assess the intersection of identities in light of existing theories in black and multicultural feminism, in identity studies, and studies of Jewish identity. These findings may increase awareness and understanding of current trends regarding the impact of feminist ideology as it relates to the connection between feminism, a movement conceived in order to fight bias, and the age-old bias of anti-Semitism. To conclude, the above documentation illustrates the lack of correspondence between the basic focus of Jewish feminism within the Jewish world and between black feminist thought and that of other racial and ethnic groups oriented both within their respective ethnic groups and beyond their groups to deal with mainstream feminism. Jewish women as a whole may have felt no need for such a dual orientation, evidenced by a sense of belonging and identification within mainstream feminism. Yet one, one need not uh, scratch very deeply beneath the surface uh, to behold an undercurrent which can prove unsettling to Jewish women. Expressions of anti of anti-Zionism and of outright anti-Semitism raise the question of how Jewish women respond and how they experience an, an apparent attack which calls their allegiance into question. 
the proposed research, with its aim of recording and analyzing Jewish women's perceptions in their own words, stands to add new dimension to what we currently know about Jewish women's experience and identities. Back in 1984, Bell Hooks wrote incisively of mainstream feminism at the time, saying, feminism has its party line, and women who feel a need for a different strategy, a different foundation, often find themselves ostracized or silenced, unquote. Could an equivalent body of scholarship by feminist Jewish women create a space for a different standpoint that addresses the concerns of women within the Jewish world as well as within the world of mainstream feminism? The answer to this question is complicated, given that it is linked to persistent efforts through the centuries to see the Jew as other in every conceivable context. The anatomy of anti-Semitism in the women's movement lies within feminist theory itself. A new theoretical model to supplement what is currently missing may act as a starting point for additional exploration in the future and as a source of change in rhetoric as well as in practice. Thank you very much for an excellent paper. So we can open up for questions. Um, isn't the problem much more deeper than what you're even suggesting in that it's not that Jewish women are sitting idly by as mainstream Western feminism moves in a vehement anti-Zionist direction. It's that they're actually at the vanguard of that movement so that it's Western feminists, Jewish feminists, such as Jacqueline Rose in the UK, who writes a book such as The Question of Zion and is anti-Zionist in the name of Judaism. So, and, it, and she has a specific interpretation of what Judaism is about. So isn't it just a much more serious issue than Jewish women not responding to something that is kind of, that, that's within the feminist movement but which they're not participants in? Well, I'm, I'm not sure, that's, that's exactly what, what I'd like to understand much more uh, because uh, because there there are those who are who are bystanders and, and seeing this going on and not knowing how to respond and those who take uh, who are more proponents and, and that's really what I meant when I when I say I'd like to look at uh, how the women um, how women express in their words the intersection um, or how they their experiences of their different identities and uh, where it's harmonious. I'll find out about where it's harmonious and where it's contentious. I, I would find that out as well and then see by what means it's resolved. Um, you know, there's in identity studies, there's um, in, in any study that looks at identities of uh, ethnic or racial groups one very quickly comes to the concept of negative identity, which is the internalization of the negative stereotypes uh, projected by the majority population. And, uh, and the, uh, the internalization of, of, the, of these negative um, stereotypes resulting sometimes, sometimes in negative identity can be expressed in different ways. And one of them is uh, in, in, in hostility towards uh, oneself or to members or to other members of one's group. Uh, so 
it's one thing that, that will, I'll be, I'll be mm -hmm. just adding one segment of, uh, of data to, to exactly what you're asking. Um, yeah, I was an activist in the early 70s in, in the women's movement. I was in the march uh, down uh, Fifth Avenue when I just archived the papers of New York Radical Feminist by Shirley Firestone. She started that in Hadoop University. And I have you know, personal experiences that um, it was, it, I, and also it was a New York thing, you know, and most of the people, uh, Susan Brown Miller, and well, I wasn't, I was sort of peripheral, I was much younger. But I think it was when, uh, there was two things that, and also I didn't want to have anything to do, it was very confusing to, be, uh, to uh, be a feminist and then go to the synagogue and not be participating, but with the conservatives, it, it soon fell away by the early 70s, so you didn't have that conflict. I mean, if you, if you weren't very religious and you just let go and you could have only your, you know, garments or something like that. I mean, I wasn't, but um, it was it was really in the mid, mid to late 70s where it really got, where the anti-Zionism uh, came out, and also the anti-Semitism uh, and the Christian, you know, the uh, spiritual writings of Mary Daly and things like that. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, Vivian Gornick has written a lot about that. You might know, and March Piercy. Uh, but it, uh, it it really was getting a alienating. But it was it was more in the. Uh, uh, it was it wasn't among us feminists or. Uh, uh, most of my feminist friends who are Christian are, are not anti-Semitism, but it was in the, it's in the uh, literature. Ms. I won't even read Ms. anymore. They're so anti. Uh, the, uh, there was an international article, uh, some series. I'm sorry, I'm having trouble thinking about. About a year ago, I resubscribed, and the only thing about Israel has something to do with the Palestinians, and I think it's more in the literature and the, and the talk, you know, the, and the organizations. Uh, where and, and then um, and the left, there, there was feminism and there was leftists. So we, we were called the radical feminists. We were we were called ourselves pure feminists. You know, pure, pure, right? We did. And there was a lot of conflicts with this last election among us too, which is another <laughs> another Jewish women too. Yeah, right. It was really. But I can say that um, you know I don't want to talk personally about my own experiences, but it was I, I do remember that. When, when there was more magazines and writing about feminism, then we, we became obvious that there was a, a lot of anti-Semitism in the feminist movement. That, that's all I can tell you about. Well, I would urge you to talk personally about your own experience. Because yeah. what you have to say, I mean, not to this whole your, your first-hand no, yeah. first uh, uh, testimony is, is much more valuable than, uh, than scholarly uh, documentation or, 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 or theorizing about it. Yeah, that's what radical feminism was all about. We had those speak-ups where yeah. we did speak personally. And I can talk with you. I, I don't want to take up the time. And actually, when I said, yeah. Ms. Magazine was the example I was referring to because about a year ago, some of you may recall, um, uh, Ms. Magazine turned down an ad. What magazine turns down an advertisement? Right. Okay, advertisement because this, and this ad happened to... Uh, have a photograph of uh, three Israeli women who have were at the pinnacle of, uh, of influence. Uh, Tzipi Livni, who was minister, uh, who was foreign minister, Dorit Banish, president of the Supreme Court. Who was the other? There's another major, major important position. They they didn't 
they didn't accept the ad. And on the grounds that they knew how to political, <laughs> Ms. Maxine was <laughs> taking So, I mean, this, this did draw a lot of attention from the ADL and the Jewish press and so on. But, uh, you know, Ms. Magazine founded and uh, co founded by prominent uh, Jewish women, and so really a case in point. In the, in the very beginning, when you talked about um, your, your questions, I think you mentioned anti-Semitism, and you used some modifier before it. I don't know if it was perceived as anti-Semitism. Might, might be anti-Semitism. In your examples, a lot of what you've spoken about is anti-Zionism. And I think that you probably would find a lot of feminists who would say we are anti-Zionist, but we're not anti-Semitic. And I'm wondering, um, that, that this, are there examples of other types of anti-Semitism or, or that are present within mainstream feminism or within um, you know, some prominent group, among prominent groups of feminists which are not the anti-Zionism variety, but rather something that's you know, more definitively traditional anti-Semitism? Yes. Yeah, what would be the sorts of things you say? Uh, but before I, before yeah. I speak about that, I, I I would just uh, reiterate the study that I cited uh, by, uh, by Kaplan and Small, which documents the, uh, the connection between, uh, between the two bigotries. And uh, it's, it's, it's one study that, uh, that, that covers ground and which, uh, which bears being cited. Um, Phyllis Chesler can speak about um, about um, the disinclusion and the exclusion of um, of Jewish women from uh, from feminist organizations uh, dating back. You know, you know we, we we tend to think that this is this is recent. It's since. Uh, it's the Lebanon War, it's, 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 but it, uh, as, as you pointed out, it just, it, 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 the roots of it began far, far earlier. And, uh, you know, there's, she'll, she'll give you examples, and, uh, and examples uh, brought to her by others of, um, of women who, who were told, you know, well, we don't want her in the group. She's, you know, she's so pushy. She just takes over. And, you know, we, we, we you know, there's this, these little stereotypes coming up. They, you know, they're, they're like buying the movement off. So, uh, thorough documentation, I don't have. It, it's, and that's not what my doctorate's looking at. That can be somebody else's. But if, if you're trying to make an indictment of contemporary feminism with regard to its attitude towards Jews, even when you talk about anti-Zionism or hostility towards Israel, there probably are some types that seem more defensible and less defensible. And I'm, I'm just thinking, because in my own work, I'm trying to, um, to work out some sort of indictment of the, uh, of the left and their anti-Semitism. And that I'm trying to figure out what would hold up in a, in a, in a, when, I, you're, I when you're speaking to leftists, what would actually convince them? 
<laughs> I'd be interested in your criteria of more defensible than less defensible. Well, I, I, I think you could say that um, that um, just some criticisms of Israel in, in and of themselves don't qualify, obviously. But when Israel is held to a double standard, I mean, something like that, you can say, or when it's, um, when it's vilified and it's treated in language that overlaps with traditional bigoted language. Like if you draw a picture, if you see a cartoon of an Israeli leader and he has a traditional um, Jewish nose from the parallels Nazi propaganda, then you could make the argument that that, that type of anti-Zionism seems to have a, a clear resemblance to anti-Semitism. So there, there's a lot of different ways you can do it. Um, um, but anyway, I, okay. I, I, I wasn't sure why you showed this uh, uh, boycott of Ahava. Uh, what, what does it have to do with feminism? Is, is it because Ahava is, is a cosmetic thing? I mean, there's a lot of boycott of other products that, uh, from Israel that have nothing to do with feminism. Uh, because this organization is a women's organization. It's, a, it's, a, it's founded by women for women. And, um, uh, and uh, and a, a, one, one area of feminist uh, of interest and concern is the obsession over beauty and how, and how images of beauty are, are imposed on society as a whole. I'm, I'm not going to get into that. There's, there's plenty to say about it, but um, but the um, but this organization um, uh, targeted uh, Ahava products. It uh, it led to um, it led to the dismissal or the uh, how did it, I'm, I'm I'm not sure of the sequence, but Charlotte from Sex and the City was the spokesman spokeswoman of Ahava products. And, um, and this campaign by Code Pink um, led, to, um, led to her being dropped from the campaign and led to the whole campaign being scrapped. So, so, uh, uh, so I do draw the link. Yeah, it, it's, one, it's one segment of, uh, of, of a boycott campaign. Um, and, and, and feminism is one segment of, of left-wing ideology on the whole left-wing ideology. Um, so. but, but, but Ahava is not owned by women. It, it's really a, a traditional a, a, a company. And, no, and it's not owned by women. It's not owned by women. It's an Israeli company. Yeah, so what, who are they punishing? Who, I mean, I'm... I'm, I'm Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a women's group. It's a cause, uh, economic. You, you can talk about multiple products that you can boycott. Sure. But it's a, I mean, it's a women's group targeting. It's a feminist group targeting. Code is the women's group that targeted. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, just follow up from this point. Uh, recently in Australia, and there were. It was connected to Code Pink. There was a feminist uh, rally condemning the operations in Gaza. It was about five months after the cast-led uh, operation. And there was about 2,000 women, mostly Anglo-Saxon women, marching down the streets screaming, we are Hamas, which is unbelievable because Hamas is a 
certainly subjugates women in the, the central part of their ideology. So that, uh, do you think this is ignorance or is it anti-Semitism? Because that type of view, I mean, I know people in Canada and Copenhagen who have similar views of the Middle East. Uh, they're very supportive of uh, Gaza in particular and, and even Hamas in, in Gaza. Why, why do you think that's happening? And then I have some other points more about your paper. Why do I think it's happening? I mean, um, it's such a reactionary sexist. It's it's ignorance. Uh, there's ignorance and there's willful ignorance. Um, and, and at what point can one hold these women accountable for for uh, willfully uh, disregarding what is so obvious? about Islamic ideology and Sharia law that they would march down the street and say we are Hamas. So, so anyway, so going back to your paper, I think your, your work is excellent. You really pose really important questions and the way you lay it out and go through the literature I think is really excellent. And in my mind, I have so many questions and uh, issues that you raise that are important to, to excuse me, to... Uh, to the, to, the, to, the, to the to the literature, um, so, but I have some sort of critical points. When you speak about Jewish women, who are you really speaking about? Are you speaking about American professional Jewish women uh, who are operating in a space that is sort of uh, white? In quotations. Mm -hmm. Because when you say Jewish women and whiteness, are you referring to the, the debates also just in the United States? Because as somebody who moved to the United States six or seven years ago, I'm still amazed at the whole discourse around whiteness and the identity of the Jewish community as being white. And it's very different, I find, in Canada. And it's very different than, than Europe. And it's certainly different than Israel. And the whole notion of being white in the Jewish community I think is quite unique in the United States. Um, so are you speaking about Jews everywhere or are you speaking about American Jews? Because I think if you're speaking about Jews everywhere, I would take issue with your idea of whiteness because um, certainly I would argue in Canada and in, in Europe and the United Kingdom and France, I don't think Jews identify as being white at all. Um, not like the United States. Uh, so and I think you know notions of identity of Jewish identity in Europe are, are I would argue are not white. Uh, they're not even you know, the, Eng the English and Jews have lived in England for many many generations. Do not even consider themselves to be English. They're British. There's, there's all sorts of uh, <laughs> they, they, you know these are very you know very serious issues of national identity and nationalism and whiteness and race and all, all these things. Mm -hmm. So I would urge you to either. Explore these issues, or be very specific when you speak about Jewish women. If I wasn't specific enough that this is about American society, okay. American Jewish women, then then I, I, I thought I had uh, okay. mentioned it a number of times, and if I didn't stress it enough, then I'll, okay, I'll fair it. enough. And then and then I think it also to me brought up issues of class and identity. So Mizrahi women, Ashkenazi women, Israelis, people in the diaspora. People living in cities, people living in peripheral towns, with all sorts of uh, issues that I think would be fascinating to explore within the Jewish context and Jewish identities I agree. when it comes to this issue. And if scholars, uh, you know, 
where scholars are situated, where they situate themselves beyond questions of Jewish feminist identities, is also unique. I, mean, I think this really poses really important questions. You know, are scholars and intellectuals, where do, where, they, where do they perceive themselves, Jewish, not Jewish, men, women? It's also very, I think, a fascinating and interesting subject. And, and has a very powerful connection to the issues that I know you're also concerned with of anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism. Um, yesterday, for example, just as a, a point, I, I gave a presentation on anti contemporary anti-Semitism, Iran, radicalism, you know, the, the regular stuff that I do, and a feminist scholar who's Jewish, I don't know how she identifies as being Jewish, um, basically called me an activist. I said that, my, that I wasn't doing scholarship. Which was derogatory. Yeah, I was great. So, <laughs> so, you know, so, but, but I think it's very important because where we're situated, um, there is this tension. If you're looking at anti-Semitism, if you're looking, God forbid, at anti-Zionism and Israel bashing, then yeah, I guess you're a neocon, you're, you're a racist, you're a fascist, you're all sorts of things. So, I don't know, it conjures up all sorts of, I think, very important questions. Sure. Um, if I, also, if I didn't stress enough that I'm at the very beginning of this investigation, I will, I will stress it again. But, um, but, um, but you bring up so many different kinds of, um, of, uh, of categories of people that, um, that it just uh, reminds me of how um, of how much there is to study on the one hand, but on the other hand, how uh, one must exercise the, the greatest possible precision in, in, um, in approaching it, because uh, each one of each one of these groups is, uh, is is its own is its own thesis. So I, I I'm beginning with one with one segment and it's a very it's intentionally a very very precise segment um, uh, and uh, i have i have a feeling that that uh, it'll generate material and, and food for thought and and, and data that will uh, that will yield um, uh, food for for thought for many other uh, subsequent studies yeah, no, i think it's a, it's a really exciting project Questions or comments? Just a, a question since you're pointing out that the dissertation is going to be started. I had a question about how you were planning on doing, you're, you're going to be doing interviews, I guess, with lots of people. Now, um, they're going to be in depth interviews, I presume, where you're talking to them for a long time now. Um, and you're going to solicit their opinions on a lot of stuff, but are you going to be presenting them? with any stimuli or anything along the way? It's uh, a very important question. It's a very important question. And so uh, I, I very purposefully didn't mention the dissertation very much until the very end. Uh, I viewed this presentation, this paper, as really distinct from the dissertation. Um, and, the, and the questions, uh, you know, the, there's no leading the witness taking place. It's a, it's a semi-structured interview, meaning that, um, that there's some, that, you know, the, 
the issues are going to be the exploration of your identities, but it's I want to hear what they say. I don't want I don't want to hear myself say and what issues emerge from their mouths, uh, from their experiences, from their uh, from their hearts is what I want to is what I'm was what I'm interested in hearing. I, I won't be surprised if the issue uh, if issues including experiences of, uh, of anti-Semitism in one way, shape, or form come up. And, and, uh, and, I'm sh and I won't be surprised if there, are, uh, if there are some women where it won't, or in a very, very marginal sense. I, I've already spoken with women uh, with whom the, the coexistence of their different identities is really quite harmonious in this, in this sense, and, and others where it's very very much together. Because I, I very rarely think of think back to my training in, in social psychology, but it, it does strike me that after you're done doing that, the next logical step is to see how people respond to particular um, particular pre manifestations of anti-Semitism, and then to see what cognitive strategies they come up with to deal with them, whether they explain them away, they incorporate them, they re, you know they, they're changed by them or anything like that. I wouldn't. I mean, it's not I'm your, your, your plan, the, but the coping mechanisms. Also, Michelle and I in this we had a conversation. I'm interrupting, but Michelle and I had a really interesting conversation about the impact of sort of reform uh, German culture on the American Jewish experience, which is quite I think quite unique. So, so yeah, so the sort of the this sort of assimilation is reform reform Judaism and its impact on American Jewish culture. Mm -hmm. So are you going to look at uh, contextualize American Jewish culture because people's identities and consciousness really come out of a whole history, which is unique. It's different in Canada, it's different in Absolutely. other places. Absolutely. I mean, I was thinking of, I was thinking of uh, looking at, uh, at Great Britain, the UK, for instance, uh, because of, of, what's, of, of all of what's going on, Jacqueline Rose and so on. But, um, my advisors very wisely steered me away and said, you know, focus, focus, focus. Um, but uh, the study that I cited, by the way, that whose title I just loved, um, The un Unbearable Whiteness of Being Jewish, uh, talked about the Jewish community, the American Jewish community during the 1960 civil rights movement and the, the tremendous conflict between uh, Jews who lived in the north and Jews who lived in the south, and how uh, uh, and, and it was uh, fascinating. This, you might have said this, but how how did you choose the 